When they told me this fentanyl patch was going to change everything, oh, this is just going to save your life. It's going to be the best thing you ever did because you won't have to worry about taking pills. What time is it? Because it's a patch and it just automatically feeds into your system, right? right? right. But pain medicine always makes you want more pain medicine. And when you visit the doctor, how are you feeling? I'm still hurting. Really? Yes. Let's give you... If I showed you the list, you would be incredulous. You would not even believe it. The list of medicines I was on and was not supposed to be driving. Hi, and welcome to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, and looking forward to sharing with you what God can do in a life. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, new things have come. Yay. Debbie Montgomery Bland, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for having me, Byron. I'm very glad to be here. We started knowing each other how long ago? I'm trying to remember. It has been, we're going to age ourselves, well, right? it had to have been over 30 years. I don't know exactly. It has to be. Yeah. It has to be. For 17 years, was it? You had the top morning show. In Memphis. The Breakfast Club. On Kicks 106. Yeah. Yes. And so many of our friends will remember you from there. And, of course, radio has been in your blood for a long time. Yes, I think I started when I was two. (laughs) So if I've been in 35 years, I was in 35 years, and then I've been out for 15, that makes me, what, 50? (laughs) We we won't won't go there. Okay. So you grew up in Memphis. Yes, I was born on Millington Naval Base. My dad is a Marine. Many military families travel all over. My mom met my dad here. My dad's from Ohio, but uh, they were married here. I was born on Millington Naval Base and graduated from Raleigh Egypt High School. When did the desire for radio, for broadcasting, get into your blood? Early. I joked about two, but seriously, I really wanted to be the next Barbara Walters. I wanted to do news, but I loved music so much that God changed my path, and that was okay. So your dad was a Marine. Yes. Strict around the house? Well, uh, my dad is... uh, not so much the disciplinarian, it was my mother. Definitely my mother. <laughs> so she was the real Marine in the family. Yes, she was. <laughs> Did you have any siblings? Yes, I have a sister, Gwen, and she lives here in Memphis. And I, I lost my brother many years ago. He, he was 28, Billy. What about growing up church-wise? My parents were not churchgoers. However, one of my best friends named Karen was always in church. Her parents were always taking them to church, and we were always spending the night at each other's houses, and then it got to be where I could only spend the night at her house because we had to go to church, (laughs) and she wasn't allowed to miss church. So I had a lot of church uh, attendance and people in my life, my grandparents, my grandmothers that just loved the Lord. So I had people praying for me. I had a lot of influence. I just wasn't regular as as I was growing up. So when did this relationship with Jesus Christ become real for you, realizing what he did on the cross was important to your life? I was 20 years old, and I was married. I had one child, and I was expecting another one. And I had moved away from Memphis and didn't have a lot of people around me. And I thought, well, something's missing. So I started going to church, and I got saved. And it's just been a A journey ever since then, 41 years now. Haven't you been involved with some of the Bellevue Singing Trees productions? Yes, I was in five Christmas trees, five passion plays. I did evangelism explosion, been on mission trips. And so I, I got to do a lot of things in a wonderful church with the best pastor that's ever lived, Adrian Rogers. Are you kidding me? I mean, if you don't grow 
under Adrian Rogers, you're dead. You're just you're just already dead. That's the way I saw it. Debbie, June 23rd, 2014, about 2.30 in the afternoon, you were driving on U.S. 64 at Liberty in Faulkner County, Arkansas. What do you remember about that day? Not much. I remember um, a police officer knocking on my window, and I was out, so it woke me up. I could see the, the white stuff that was flying around in the air from the airbag. I... Got out of the truck, and they led me over to an ambulance. Then I saw another girl. I could only see her legs. That's about it. I didn't remember anything. I still don't. That's all I can remember. How did you get to the place where you don't remember? Because wasn't there a place in your life where you started taking pills excessively? Oh, I not only was taking pills, I was on a fentanyl patch. That's very strong medicine. The way I hear it explained now is it's man-made heroin, the way it's been explained to me. You were on this prescribed medication taking care of an ailment, I guess, an injury? Yes, I had lots of surgeries. And The truth about it is, Byron, when they told me this fentanyl patch was going to change everything, oh, this is just going to save your life. It's going to be the best thing you ever did because you won't have to worry about taking pills. What time is it? Because it's a patch and it just automatically feeds into your system, Right, right? right? But pain medicine always makes you want more pain medicine. And when you visit the doctor, how are you feeling? I'm still hurting. Really? Yes. Let's give you... If I showed you the list, wow. you would be incredulous. You would not even believe it. The wow. list of medicines I was on and was not supposed to be driving. Well, that day changed your life? Changed a lot of people's lives. Yeah. There's a 25-year-old girl was driving the other car. She was. And I hit her head on and she died. You were charged with 15-year sentence for negligent homicide. Yes, I was. And you were sentenced to the Wrightsville Women's Facility in Wrightsville, Arkansas. Well, originally, yeah. Well, it's just the Arkansas Department of Corrections. Okay. But actually, that is in Newport. But immediately, I asked to be put into the Christian program, which is in Wrightsville. So I got transferred to Wrightsville. Now, you had injuries yourself from that accident. You were taken to the hospital. Broken ribs and lacerations and... You weren't taken to jail or anything no. right away. There was a hearing. You went through a court proceeding. Right. Yeah. Uh, there was six weeks uh, while they mailed off the blood test because they can tell if you're drinking alcohol right away, but right. they don't necessarily know if there's any drugs in your system. So there wasn't any alcohol involved. So when they got the blood test back, they came and arrested me. Wow. Debbie, when you woke up that morning, it was another day for you. What were you doing that day when you what? woke up, the day of the accident? My daughter was visiting with my grandchildren, and I was going to just run to Target and do an errand. And the strange thing is, Byron, that I completely credit God for is normally I would have taken my grandchildren with me to Target. Yes, Elijah, my oldest grandchild, and I, when we walked into Target, first thing we did was get popcorn. So the fact that they weren't in the car with me is I just am so thankful for that. So uh, I'm just going to run to Target and come back. But that didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. And things were changing quickly. You were looking at 15 years. I didn't know what I was looking at because when you research it, it, 5 to 20 is what it was. And I didn't know what I was facing. And I don't think it was an odd thing for me to figure out how it wasn't my fault. In other words... Uh, I did find out later she wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and the doctor gave me too much medicine. And there's all kinds of ways that you can try to make sure it's somebody else's fault, but it wasn't. It was my fault. I had to be punished. So I was. 
Talk about that process for you. I mean, this had to be just overwhelming. Immediately upon arriving in, in the prison system, I was greeted by a large, burly woman who was very gruff. And when she sat me down to put my information into the computer, and I tell this story because it's important to me to relay to people There's so many reasons why you don't want to be there, but you don't have any control over who's going to talk to you, how they're going to talk to you, what they're going to say. So she sat me down and she wanted to know what my charge was. And I told her and she wanted to know if any children were killed. And she had me so upset that I I couldn't remember my address. And then she accused me of lying. And she said that she was about to add more charges onto me. I don't think that could have happened, but I didn't. I had only been there for like 30 minutes. I didn't really know what was going on. She had me completely just beside myself crying. And then I accidentally let her door shut. And she got up and she screamed at me that I wasn't off to a good start. Byron, I had been so dehydrated when I was in the county jail before I was transferred to the prison that my fingerprints, uh, they take them again when you get there, uh, wouldn't roll And so when she finished with me and put me next door to roll my fingerprints and they wouldn't roll, she evidently heard the conversation in there and she marched in there and screamed, so you're not cooperating in here either. I just can't tell you how I'm feeling it right now. A lump in your throat. You can't breathe because they can do anything they want to do to you. And so you have to have 100% trust in the Lord. Or I don't know how you anybody would get through it. And that's what my story is about, yes, how is. Jesus got me through it. You had people, dear friends, yes. that prayed with you and were praying for you, that came in to visit you. Sent money, yeah. sent books. Were there those family members and maybe friends that once they heard this news, they didn't want to talk to Debbie anymore? That didn't happen. One of my dearest friends in the world said to me, you have no idea how I trust God to get you through this. She said, because I was in this situation that you're in. Bad accident, although no one was killed. She said she can only credit God and the fact that uh, there had been some drinking involved. So most of my friends said to me, Debbie, it was only the grace of God that we're not where you're at. And they never let go of me. Several years ago, I was in an accident hit by an off-duty police officer. That was a miracle that night because my wife, Pam, who you know, uh, was riding behind me in her car because the car I was driving was having mechanical issues. So she was just following to make sure I got home safely. He T-boned me coming off of I-40, flipped me up in the air. I spun probably three or four times before I hit the ground upside down. Oh, I didn't know this. And by a miracle of God, I walked away that night with no abrasions, no bruises, and not even sore the next day. If Pam had been in the car in that place, oh, she, by the grace of God, right. she wouldn't be with us today. Oh, because they T-boned on her, would yes. have been on her side. Yes. I see what you're Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. So right. you got a new home. It's prison. Well, I didn't know. Staying four years, but when you go in, you don't know when you're going to leave. The first parole hearing was in two and a half years, but with a charge of negligent homicide generally on the first time they're yeah. just going to say no it doesn't matter how good you are how how well right. you've behaved or any of those things how do you know who to trust in prison how do you know who are your friends and who are not your friends you don't no you don't 
people want to be your friends because you have good friends that take care of you and they don't and so they want what you have they want uh your coffee and your your chips and your things but i didn't have a problem sharing i had such wonderful friends that that took such good care of me and 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 mainly my husband tommy (laughs) and my sister and all these friends but they they gave me extra so that i could share and then i was warned if you share too much, when it's time for you to go home, they will get you in trouble so that you can't leave because they want to make sure they can still get some stuff from you. It's a crazy place to be, I can tell you, Byron. Wow. And there's not a lot of trusting that's going on. You just got to trust Jesus. What did you learn about trusting Jesus in prison? I mean, you were forced to. I mean, us on the outside as we're living our life, you know, doing our thing, not a lot of pressure on us when it comes to living out our life in Christ. So what were some of the daily obstacles, some of the challenges that you learned? How did you learn to trust Christ in prison? Because I had no control whatsoever. And of course, we think we have a lot of control, right? I think that's kind of what you're just saying. With not a lot of pressure, we think we're controlling everything. Well, I can promise you in prison, you control absolutely nothing. So things did happen. People would steal from you, or they would lie about you. There were times where I failed a drug test four times. I wasn't doing anything. And then that's when I just would fall to my knees because I had nothing left except, Lord, you got to get me out of this because, you know, I didn't do it. So immediately I would call one of my friends and they would pray with me. And again, it was the lump in the throat, can hardly breathe. And I'm just like, Lord, you know, I didn't do this and I don't have any way of proving it. So even though I was faced with what looked like real trouble, it never came to fruition because the Lord got me out of it because it wasn't true. Was there a point where you emotionally bottomed out during this time? I mean, wondering, am I ever going to be able to get out of this prison? Probably at the second parole hearing, because by that time I had gone through the drug program that they wanted me to go through, and they had given me really great jobs. I didn't ask for them. You, you usually ask for a job that you want, but they came to me and said, would you be the head law librarian? So I was in an office with a computer, and everybody wants that job. And I had been at the 309 program, and I thought, this this is it. I know they say, said no the first time. That's to be expected, but this is it. But I didn't make it. And one of the girls that was in with me for negligent homicide was going home. I led her to the Lord, and we had Bible study, and her kids were in prison, and I had been writing them about sports and God, and she was leaving, and I wasn't. And she didn't have anybody to tell her that she was leaving. My husband found out, and I had to walk over to the kitchen in front of all the women and tell her, you made it, but I didn't. And that was difficult, but but I did it. And after that, they kind of locked me up a little bit and, and put me off by myself because I was laundry and the rest of the girls were kitchen. And they would come in at four and I would go out at four. And so I had no human contact for a few months. And it was every morning when I got up, it would hit me. It didn't take 20 seconds before it hit me. You got a whole nother year. You know, it it, it could be one year, it could be two years, but another year. And then all of a sudden, my life changed again, because of the lockup and being away from I was going outside and at least sitting in the sun having my coffee, but they stopped that. But that's because I had put God is love on the wall. One of the guards came in like a Russian oligarch and started screaming at me and threatening that I was going to be sent back. And who did I think I was? And he took me over to my room and tore my room apart looking for 
something else but that he didn't find, but he allowed me to sit there for three days till the a jail administrator came back and, and he could tell on me. And uh, I just had to wait and see. But I didn't get sent back and God just protected me through that. But then I was sent to another 309 program, but the way they did it was horrible. Uh, again, come in screaming at me, pack up, because usually when you're screamed at to pack up, that's because you're in trouble and you're going back to prison. Mm-hmm. And I knew I hadn't done anything. This is like midnight, so I'm packing everything up. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know where I'm going. They won't answer any questions. I'm trying to pack my things, but I had a lot of things by that time, and they were not happy that I wasn't doing it fast enough. Then I just had to sit there till 7 o'clock in the morning with, uh, you know, the phones aren't on. You can't call anybody. Everybody else is asleep. I just had to sit there alone. And then the one by one, the girls started waking up and coming out, and they just couldn't believe it. I was, my lips were quivering, and I was crying, and I didn't know what was going on. So at 7 o'clock, they take me up front, put me in chains, and take me with the rest of the girls that are going on the bus to the prison, make me sign a piece of paper that says being transferred to ADC, Arkansas Department of Corrections, which in my mind, I'm thinking I should be going to another 309 program. I didn't do anything wrong. But no, they allowed me to think I'm going back to prison. I rode all the way to prison. Looking out the window, I just kept looking up into the sky and saying, Lord, what's going on? And when I got there to the prison, I went in with the rest of the girls before the guard leaned down and whispered in my ear, you're going to Hot Springs. You're not. But they allowed me to think that. But that's the way it happens in there. You don't say, excuse me, I've got questions. (laughs) That doesn't happen. I mean, you can do that, but it's not going to turn out well. So how far was it or how much more time from that point did you realize that you were going to get to get out? Well, it was about another 10 months. But since they sent me to another 309 program, and it was a brand new facility, and the the guards were nice, and I had a whole new crop of girls to uh, lead to the Lord, which I did, and have Bible study with, and have more Christmas parties and Mother's Day parties that they would just get off the phone and when the parties were over, they immediately, all of the phones were being used. And and those parties were helped funded by your friends from the outside. Yes. And they would say to me, just make sure Jesus gets the credit. So we always did. They would say, Miss Deb did this and Miss Deb did that. And I would say, no, Miss Becky and Miss Susan and Miss Peggy did this and that. (laughs) But they want you to know it came from Jesus and because it does. That's no, those are the kind of friends I have. They know that everything they. And, And the scripture does teach us to remember those in prison. Yes. As a matter of fact, when Jesus said, I was naked, you clothed me, and I was sick, you took care of me when I was in prison, you visited me. And, of course, they said to Jesus, we didn't do that. He said, yeah. but when you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And right. But my friends knew that. But, but, Byron, again, they knew what I was doing. They trusted that I was using the resources they sent me to honor and glorify God, and it always did. The Bible studies, the parties. Now, they don't have parties in prison, don't don't misunderstand, but at 309, you have just a little more freedom because we go to Walmart and you're allowed to buy almost anything, no hatchets or or anything like that. No files, right? Yeah, no no files, no no guns, but it's a much better life. So I was able to share with so many people and they, they just, I would just always say it's from Jesus, it's from Jesus. And so you go to this hearing, this final hearing. Yes. And what was that like? I felt fabulous. I had not only scripture, you know, on the bed that was over me that I had on little post-it notes, all kinds of from David in the Psalms. I'm swimming in my bed in tears, you know, plant 
my feet like Heinz feet firmly and don't let me stumble and God's going to bring water to the dry land. I had all kinds of scriptures going on that I was praying and praying and praying. And then I finally had all these little papers up there that I kept counting down the days. I felt great. I felt good. I just knew it. And I went in there and I had this conversation with the lady. I could back up real quick and say the second one ended up was the guy that was the sheriff in the county that I had the accident. And I don't think that was going to bode well for me. And it didn't. I didn't. I knew that wasn't going to turn out well. And so I was devastated. So this lady just said, you're great. Everything is great. I love everything you've said. You've done well. And I think you've told me everything I wanted to hear. And I just knew I was that was it. I was going home. And all of a sudden, her face kind of screwed up. And she was looking at my file and my heart dropped. And I just thought, what did she just see? What is in there? And she just kept looking like this. And I didn't say anything. I just waited. And she finally looked at me and she said, you should have gone home last year. She said that you had so many yeses. You really should have gone home last year. And so, Byron, the only thing I could take away from it in the end, there were more girls that I led to the Lord at the new 309 program, more Bible studies, more Mother's Day parties and talking about Jesus. So how was I going to um, argue with the Lord about that? I just I didn't. I didn't like it at the time, but I slowly you know, would let myself think, you know, Deb, God's got this. That's what my friend Peggy always said. God's got this. And he did. He had it every single day, Byron. Debbie, you might not be able to talk a lot about this. Have you tried or had any contact with the Reynolds family? I tried to get in touch with the pastor that did the funeral and let him know that I would like to meet the family and tell them how sorry and Asked them to forgive me. I, I actually did that the day that I was sentenced, and her stepdad came up to my husband with tears in his eyes and said, you tell her we forgive her. But you know what? I remember something I read that Chuck Swindoll said, that even when we forgive people, that doesn't mean they get privileges restored necessarily. So the privilege of ever meeting them or talking to them in person might not ever happen, but I pray for them every single day without fail that God will bless them more than I could ever think about because they deserve it. And I never fail to ask God to just bless them and heal them. What's next for Debbie Montgomery Bland? I think that God's plan is for me to speak to groups because that's what I did when I was on the radio, Byron. You know, many times churches around this Mid-South would ask me to speak. And oddly enough, there were many times when I would have a woman walk down the aisle at the end of my speech with tears coming down her face. I didn't like you so much on kicks. But she said, I I just love you, they would say. (laughs) Many times, not always. So what I'm hoping is that God will use me in that way again, not for people to like me, but for me to tell people ways that I've learned that you could maybe keep yourself from ever going there. Because with this COVID, you know, we have forgotten about the drug problem and it's gotten worse yes and i've got things that i would like to to tell people especially the families how can the families help the drug addict okay yes they oftentimes they don't know how i think i've got a lot of ways that i can help them because i lived with these ladies for four years many of them been in there four times so i learned a lot and i want to teach them how to help them get through it and how to help them when they get out because you have to have a support team Davis, we wrap up our program today. The Apostle Paul talks through the book of Philippians yes. about 
joy. And he wrote that book while he was in prison. In prison. Yes, he did. What did you learn about joy in your relationship with Christ? I taught the book of Philippians many times. I did Rick Warren and I did this and that, but uh, I I learned that it was a really good book to teach these girls in prison and telling them who Paul was. And it, it teaches you the philosophy of the Christian life and the pattern and who the prize is, what the prize is, and the power. And the power of Jesus comes through having joy, because <laughs> if we lose our joy, how are we going to have any power when we're praying? How's there going to be any power in our life? It's a big difference, as you know, in being happy. And a lot of times I was happy in prison because I got to do a lot of really neat things. God was working in me and through me, and it was fabulous. But I would like to tell other people how to avoid going there or how to help their loved ones through it, because it's very important as a community for us to pray for these people in prison. Because they are going to get out, and when they get out, they're going to be around your family members or your grandchildren. Don't think they won't, because they will be. Yeah. I thank you so much, my dear sister, for coming, sharing your heart, being so transparent about your journey. None of us know our course in life. I mean, there's things that happen that are out of our control, and sometimes there's things that are in our control. But as a follower of Christ, he is the one. He says you will not be able to pluck us from his hand. That's right. In the book of John, I told that to those girls so many times. Another thing that I would like to just say before I leave is that God also promises to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And that's true for me. It's true for you. And it's true for everybody out there that's going through something. If I can help, Rick Warren said, don't waste your pain. That's why I'm here. You have to humble yourself and say, yeah, this is what I did, and this, yeah. but this is how you could honor and glorify Jesus Christ through everything that happened. Is there an email address that if somebody wanted to invite you to come speak to their group, is there an email address that you could give out? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question, Byron. <laughs> My name is Deborah Montgomery Bland, so if you can just remember bland.deb at yahoo.com. I would love to be invited if I can help in any way. It is not above anybody to drive when they shouldn't be driving, whether it's illegal drugs, legal drugs, when they're tired, when they've had a beer. It's happening out there right now. And we need to know that you might not like the way it ends up. Debbie, thanks again. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Hey, God put us together 30 years ago. And here, you know what? He just knows. Here we are. That's right. Friends, we're going to have to say goodbye on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Again, my guest, Debbie Montgomery Bland, to have her tell the story of what God has been working through her life, working out in her life, is he works out things in your life. You might be facing something that seems so overwhelming. It's like a mountain. I can never get through this time. No, God is there with you. You're not alone. He will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. Well, we're going to say goodbye. I'm Byron Tyler. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye now.